Hare Krishna. Maharaj, you mentioned that in, in devotional service there will be tests and reversals and these things will come. And we also hear uh, that devotee means one who is happy, chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Uh, also, uh, we also hear that there is basic platform of the soul is pleasure seeking. So, uh, unless there is a pleasure, one cannot perform any activity. So, in sometimes it seems like a devotion service is, can be a miserable life because uh, the tests are coming and your expectations are not fulfilled. So, how can a sadhaka can be happy in performing devotion service uh, in such circumstances? The real pleasure is in taking shelter of the process of Krishna consciousness. The real pleasure is not in the thing that's happening externally. If things go your way very nicely, it could be miserable if it distracts you from the process of bhakti. Yes? It's just temporary, coming and going. But in every situation, we analyze real pleasure in, in how we are actually connecting to Krishna, how we're giving pleasure to Krishna. As we make spiritual advancement, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he would see a beautiful feast cooked for the deities, he was in the greatest ecstasy. All he wanted was a little boiled rice. But seeing hundreds of magnificent subjis and sweets offered to the deities was his happiness. So we have to learn what is real happiness. Are you this mind, are you this body, or are you the soul? We have to focus on what gives happiness to the soul. So when there are reversals, when we take shelter of Krishna, we're giving happiness to our soul. It's not that we look for miseries. We're looking for happiness. We're trying to arrange our Krishna conscious life in such a way that there's some quality and some stability. Yes? But whatever we plan and whatever we arrange, miseries are going to come. But they are, the, they are wonderful opportunities to learn to find pleasure, not in the misery, it's not that the devotees find pleasure in the miseries. They find pleasure in taking shelter of Krishna. Whether it's in happiness or distress, whether it's in pleasure and pain, honor or dishonor, success or failure, victory or defeat, whatever may come in our way, our happiness is not in the thing. It's not in the result. It's in giving, it's in turning to Krishna, remembering Krishna. Connecting to Krishna. 
especially through chanting his holy name. If you look for Krishna in that, you will find Krishna in that. If you look for pleasure in Krishna, you will find pleasure in Krishna. And that pleasure is eternal and unlimited. If you look for pleasure in the temporary results of situations in this world, that's where you're going to find your pleasure. So sometimes miserable situations help us to really look for our pleasure in Krishna. But we should be doing that even in pleasurable situations. In all situations. Does that answer your question? So when Prabhupada said, chant Hare Krishna and be happy, Prabhupada wanted the best possible material situations that were favorable to Krishna consciousness for the devotees. When, when Prabhupada saw devotees getting sick or not getting proper prasad or not getting proper facilities, you know, for basic sleeping and everything, he was very much concerned. He wanted the devotees to have a, a basically healthy and, and basic comforts so that they weren't overly distressed and troubled by their bodies. In Mayapur, he would be very careful that devotees had mosquito nets. Brindaban, he made a beautiful ashram and guest house so devotees could, even from the west, could feel some, some basic comforts in Brindaban which at the time, it was really not available anywhere else. But no matter what arrangements you make for these simple, basic you know, comforts, miseries come. And some devotees are just had no comforts hardly at all, and they were the happiest. That's six Goswamis lived under trees. And they were the happiest people, because they were always turning to Krishna. So we should try to provide the Vaishnavas with, with comfortable, stable lives, as far as possible. But while we're doing that, we should always be cultivating that internal consciousness, which means that our real happiness, our real pleasure, is not, not in these arrangements. Our real pleasure is in connecting to the reservoir of all pleasure by chanting the holy names. Krishna, Maharaj, thank you for a wonderful class. Um, Maharaj, you so beautifully described the importance of taking shelter 
uh, and being hel helplessly crying out the holy name. Uh, but personally, I feel it, I mean, after repeated hearing, it's not possible unless I understand my completely in insignificant position. Uh, you beautifully described about Indra, and we keep hearing again and again about how demigods are put into very difficult, helpless situations. But having the extra privilege of being born in Kaliuga, which is a very degree, I mean, I meant, I meant it very sarcastically, uh, we are actually in a very difficult position. I am personally in a very difficult position. I have taken this human body, uh, material body, which is a complete disqualification in one sense because I have been envious of Krishna. And, but despite all this, repeatedly hearing, intellectually trying to understand insignificant position, again and again the false ego, which is like a dog's tail, keeps impressing upon the mind that indeed you are significant. It keeps reminding you of some good thing you have done, some service you have done, and this happens all the time. And we are not able to take shelter of the holy name. We are not really able to appreciate devotees without motivation. We are not able to render service to others because there is motivation and I don't understand my insignificant, I don't accept my insignificant position. So how do I accept my insignificant position? Gaur Hari Prabhu. Probably the closest thing to being an Indra is to be a professor at IIT. <laughs> Topmost, topmost scholarly students in the entire country, the cream, the essence of all students, they are under your command. <laughs> you have the power to fail them or pass them, <laughs> teach them. Yes? Ready? Nice position. And like Indra, you are doing it in the service of Krishna. <laughs> but we learn our lessons from Krishna teaches through his great devotee so many things. Through Indra, he teaches what we have to watch out for. Through Prahlad, through Prahlad and other such great devotees, Ambarish, he teaches us how to deal with different situations and turn to him with humility and devotion. <clears throat> but actually, Gorhari, we are ready. Just the fact that you are asking these questions with such sincerity means we really are seeking the essence. We really want to be a humble servant of the servant of the servant. And the, the process of achieving what you are aspiring for is just that, to want it more than anything else. And that desire comes by hearing about people who have that. Srimad Bhagavatam is the crest jewel of all Vedic literatures because it gives the most powerful warnings 
and it gives the most powerful process by which we can overcome all obstacles. And it's all aimed at pure unalloyed devotional service. So by hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam and by associating with devotees who are trying to live by the principles of the Bhagavatam, it clarifies everything very, very nicely for us. The inevitable diversions and illusions that come into our life when we associate with the people Bhagavatam, when we hear, we hear from the book Bhagavat, it makes things very clear. What are the impediments and what is the path of, to our real aspiration? So that association and reading Srimad Bhagavatam and hearing Bhagavatam will keep us, keep our desires and our aspirations very pure. So we're yearning and longing for that. We may have prestige, or we may not have prestige. We may have wealth. We may not have wealth. doesn't really matter. What matters is in whatever situation we're in, whether we're King Prataparudra or Kolavecha Sridhar, we're aspiring for the true wealth of Prema Bhakti. We're aspiring for the true wealth of service to God and service to the Vaishnavas and service to all beings. That's our motivation. And these values are established and preserved by hearing. Hearing from the people Bhagavats and hearing from the book Bhagavat. And what the book Bhagavatam and the people Bhagavatam is saying, first it's helping us to aspire for the right thing, for the highest thing, for the purest thing, pure devotional service. And it's teaching us in whatever situation we're in, whether we're professors or students, whether we are of any particular material situation, We can, we can all attain perfection if we aspire to be the servant of the servant of the servant and in this spirit to take shelter of the holy name. Essence, your, the fact that you ask this question, the way you ask this question, is the very answer to your question for all of us. Yes, Prajapihari. Maharaj, uh, thank you for the class. You mentioned a very important point about uh, Kaliuga. You said it's not a puddle of faults or not a small lake, it's an ocean of faults. There are so many faults. So I wanted to know about one particular quality, whether it is a fault and how should we address this. And that is when uh, we see diplomatic behavior. Like uh, in the book, you know, Journey Home, you are talking about this incident at Bon Maharaj Ashram. 
where you and your friend David and you know that devotee Jagannath Prabhu, he tells you that if you're a devotee of Krishna, you should not uh, be like this. So that is very instructive. At the same time, we see that we have an institutional structure and a lot of things have to be done, a lot of projects are there. So sometimes to get things done and for expediency, we may have to be diplomatic and not really speak the truth. We may adjust the truth. But in the process, we may hurt devotees. So I wanted to know how do we balance this uh, diplomacy, first of all. And secondly, if you are on the receiving end, if we know that somebody has behaved diplomatically with us, should we address it with that person, very having an open communication, or should we quietly tolerate, or how should we take it? So basically, I have two questions. One is, is diplomacy allowed, is okay with devotee in, amongst devotees? And secondly, uh, how should we receive it when we see that somebody is behaving diplomatically with us? Our intention is what is of greatest importance. We shouldn't lie in the name of diplomacy. We shouldn't cheat in the name of diplomacy. We should be in a spirit of servitude. If we act, as you say, in a diplomatic way to achieve some selfish re result for ourselves, then that is very unfavorable for Krishna consciousness. However, if we're without selfishness, really trying to serve and help others and sustain our own spiritual lives so that we can qualitatively help others, then it may be very favorable for devotional service. Srila Prabhupada uses the example that a child does not want to take medicine, so the, so the parent puts the medicine in a laddu and says, eat this laddu. The child says, is there medicine in it? And the parent says, no, there's not. Eat it. Now, that's diplomacy. But she's not trying to exploit the child. She's trying to save the child's life. So it's favorable because it helps to save the child's life. It's higher than her being honest and saying, yes, the medicine's in it, and then he doesn't eat it. So diplomacy when it is used as a means to actually offer respect to others and to serve others, then it's favorable. But when it's for our own selfish or egoistic reasons, then it's very unfavorable. So we have to be very careful to calculate our own intent and whether it's actually genuinely necessary. Does that answer your question? The first part, uh, it, it actually is addressed very nicely. 
and the second part over that doubt still remains like if if for example we are on the receiving end of some uh, diplomatic behavior which may apparently seem to us is not in krishna's interest like somebody has lied about us to someone and you know something like that and then how should we rec- how should we take it should we have an open communication confront that devotee in a nice way and tell him that we don't like it or it's not correct or should we quietly tolerate it and know that it's krishna's arrangement for our purification you can do both <laughs> internally you can feel that yes this is for my own internal purification but externally it is not that we we can clarify the truth because it will help us in our service and our capacity to serve others that answer your question Adivo. Yes, one more question. <coughs> Maharaj, you are talking about uh, pure devotional service. If you wanted to attend a pure devotional service, a devotee should have a quality of compassion, forgiveness, humility. If he can attend that, then pure devotional service becomes very easy. but sometimes in our scriptures we take some we see the example for example an example of bhima now if we see to it the bhima's example we could not see that he was having so much attitude of humility compassion forgiveness <laughs> those qualities we couldn't see him yet he could get pure devotional service so sometimes we have a fear in our heart that whenever we hear all these things we are not able to adjust with this type of a quality in our heart and then we take the example of bhima that he could get it so can you just give us that what is the quality that is required in addition or if we don't have those qualities also then also we will be able to get pure devotional service the way bhima could get it had all those qualities <laughs> but he 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 expressed those qualities according to his particular service to krishna he was a kshatriya he didn't work as a consultant of the stock exchange <laughs> under vrindavan prabhu so as a kshatriya in most of mahabharata situations where bima is <clears throat> either being exploited or on the battlefield so his humility he had to fight and he had to fight courageously with his club Yes and he did. He was fighting for dharma. He's fighting for the protection of the innocent, protection of the sanctity of the world. As a kshatriya that was his prescribed duty and that's what Krishna wanted him to do. 
but he was, he was realized that ultimately everything is coming by the power of Krishna. He understood that Krishna is giving me whatever power and I'm using it for his service. As far as forgiveness, if he would have forgiven Duryodhana, then the world would have been cast in a dharma. And Krishna's will would have been impossible. Yes? He was an instrument of, of doing what Krishna wanted him to do according to his, his nature as a kshatriya, according to his prescribed duty. So if we understand the Mahabharata from the perspective of Srimad Bhagavatam, we can understand that Bhima actually had all those qualities, but he had them in the very unique form of a, of a kshatriya. Now Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, those who are on this path should not eat too much or too little. So you may ask, well, how did Bhima follow that? <laughs> he was brikodar, which means his, his belly was hungry like a wolf. When the Pandavas would beg, when they were living in the forest, they would divide it. Bhima would take half, and Yudhisthira, Arjuna, Nakula, Sahadev, Draupadi, when Kunti was there, they took the other half. <laughs> so one may ask, how is this controlling the senses? He did, because that's how much he needed. He didn't overeat. <laughs> didn't overeat. That's just how much he needed. That was his particular physical composition. He needed that much. We never see Bhima, you know, going to some Ayurvedic doctor for digestion. <laughs> he could digest fully. And, he, and every bit of that energy that came from the f massive quantities of food he ate, he would engage in massive quantities of service. Yes. Prabhupada said about Bhima, he said, you can eat like Bhima if you can serve like Bhima. <laughs> yes, otherwise you cannot imitate. So we have to understand the internal significance of Bhima through the Bhagavatam. All those qualities we're speaking about, they were there. But Krishna was using him in a very, very important and special way. And in India, among the children, who's the favorite person of Mahabharata? Bhima. It's very attractive. Ramayan, it's Hanuman. Mahabharat, it's Bhima. <clears throat> and they're actually both avatars of Vayu. They're essentially the same personality. Hanuman, Bhima, they're, both, they're brothers of the same tattva.
Bhima had the spirit of Hanuman. According to time, place, and circumstance, he was expressing it. Does that answer your question? Hare Krishna. You know, to be a Kshatriya and to fight those wars the way Bhima did, a certain disposition was required. But he did it exclusively for the pleasure and the service of Krishna. And when the leader of the Indian National Army approached Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati and said, we need people to fight against the British. And you're taking some, so many of the best, most intelligent men and making them brahmacharis and sannyasis. We need them for the service of our country. And Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati said, these are skinny, these are skinny men they will not be of much help to you. Let them just eat some prasad and preach Krishna consciousness. And he convinced, yes, these are not people meant for the army. <laughs> but Krishna recruited Bhima and empowered Bhima. And we bow at his lotus feet. Yes, Prabhu. Thank you. Thank you, Maharaj, for a wonderful class. I have a question about blessings. Should we aspire to have the blessings also of those who are not necessarily well, like qualified or, or even demoniac if our parents or our relatives are not so favorable to Krishna consciousness, do we aspire to have their blessings also? Yes, we should be looking for blessings everywhere. If they, they, their blessing is you don't go so don't practice Krishna consciousness. Why are you asking this question? <laughs> it's very obvious. We want blessings from our parents, but at the same time, um, we have our path. Since I've been on this path, my parents have given me millions of times more blessings than before. Yes? So, we should always be eager, but at the same time, we have our, the path of truth should be followed. Is there any other questions? After all, your parents raise you, parents have given you so much, we have a debt to them. Yes? Maharaj, this pastime of uh, Bali Maharaj, 
seems a little mysterious bewildering and little confusing in spite of the purports clarifying uh in terms of few things like we were discussing the other day few days back uh about uh the first thing is uh, when bali maharaj performed this vishwajit yagya and he was going to conquer indra one of the persons who offered him his blessings is prahlad maharaj and he offered him a garland of flowers that don't fade and he is going to fight with the devotees <laughs> the demigods and um, the brahmanas others who are giving him a worship uh, who are blessing him to go and fight against the demigods so the question that was asked was you know like are they really brahmanas and how could prahlad maharaj also give his blessings and was bali actually a <clears throat> mahajan or he became mahajan at that particular instance was he a great person before or he became a mahajan when he did atmanivedanam but we should understand that pralad could understand the will of the lord of what was going to happen Oh, it's it's a mystery but we can understand that these great souls they could see into what was actually going to transpire by prahlad prahlad wasn't giving him this blessing for the purpose of winning a war it may appear that but actually prahlad doesn't care about those things prahlad was giving a, a the blessing of getting the shelter of the supreme lord and attaining the perfection of spiritual life that was prahlad's blessing and because he got the blessing of prahlad look what happened he got the opportunity to attain that perfection and he took it yes Prahlad's blessing is very powerful. Blessing of a pure devotee. It opened the doors for Bali Maharaj to attain the highest perfection. And when Vamana Dev came to to beg from Bali, it's a complicated story that would take a couple hours to tell. But, <laughs> but when 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 Vamana came. it wasn't just because aditi performed the payavrata for her children it was also because prahlad maharaj was praying for his grandson to get pure devotional service and bali maharaj was humbling himself to receive prahlad's prayer blessings so it's actually a very very deep story we can't just see these in a superficial way so that answer your question
Prahlad gave his blessings, and the immediate thing that happened is Bali Maharaj conquered. But if he didn't conquer, there would be no reason for Vamanadev to take everything away. So really what Prahlad was blessing him for was to ultimately to go through whatever he had to go through to get the Supreme Law's grace. And how much how much the Lord hears the prayers of someone like Prahlad. Even Hiranyakashipu was liberated. What to speak of Bali, who was actually a very great soul, always. So one more question? Yes, Vishabhanu Prabhu. Maharaj, oftentimes we receive respect and we sometimes also offer respect to others. But how to ensure that it never becomes a ritual but a heart, heartfelt, true spiritual activity? Otherwise, many times we see that kind of a mechanically it is done. But how to see that every time we offer respect, it is not a ritual but something endowed with the spirituality and love of the heart. That genuineness develops according to our own realizations. So certainly we should <clears throat> consciously, whatever we do on the path of bhakti, it should be from our heart. It shouldn't simply be a mechanical thing. And through developing deeper realizations within, from within ourselves, then whatever we do, whatever we say, will come from that place. Where there's very, very deep, sublime feeling. In essential, essentially, unless we have a grateful heart, we can't really be respectful from the heart. Gratitude is all important. <clears throat> Otherwise, respect is just a mechanical formality. But if we're actually grateful, and to be grateful you have to be humble. If you think, I deserve so much, then you're not grateful for anything that happens. You may go through the formalities of thank you, but are you really thankful? If you just eat a massive feast and someone comes and gives you some food, are you you're not that grateful. But if you're starving and someone gives you some food, you're really grateful. So if we have an arrogant disposition, then people will give us and we'll say thank you, maybe. We may say thank you, we may not, as a formality, but we're not really grateful. We don't really mean it. But when we have a humble disposition, we're really grateful. Not only for the good things, but even for the reversals and the difficulties. Because we see in every situation there's an opportunity to grow. There's an opportunity to learn. 
There's an opportunity for wisdom. There's an opportunity to turn to God and take shelter, even in the difficult times, as well as the good times. So a grateful heart sees an opportunity in every situation, a humble heart, and is grateful for that, and is actually thankful. So even if we're following a spiritual path, and even if our parents may not agree, we're still grateful to them. We're still thankful to them. We may be following a higher principle, but still there's love, and there's gratitude, and there's thankfulness. Yes? What to speak of others? Srila Prabhupada, even when drug addicts on the street, laying on the street in the Bowery, would open a door for him. From his heart of hearts, he would say, thank you. And he meant it. He was thankful to them because they, made, they did something for him. <laughs> they helped him in his service to God by opening that door. He was probably more thankful to those drug addicts and prostitutes who were sleeping in the streets of the Bowery who opened a door for him, he was probably more thankful from his heart to them than when saints give us wonderful things for us because he had that humility. And he could access God's blessings even in those situations because he had a grateful heart. Now how to achieve that? First we need, we need to want it. And then we cultivate it through our actions, through our words. And most of all, we access it through cleansing our own hearts by making that spiritual connection within, our, within ourselves. In this age of Kali, the most direct way of making that spiritual connection is chanting the names of God. Does that help to answer your question? Even if it's kind of for... A machine doesn't have a motivation. Yes. So even if we don't have realization, if we're respectful because we really want the realization, because we want to please people, because we want to enrich ourselves, and we want to show compassion and, and actually honor other people, if we have that desire, then it's not mechanical. Just like any ritual. If you're just performing a ritual without a serious spiritual intention, then it's nothing but a mechanical ritual. But if you're performing that same ritual as an expression 
of our desire to love God, to purify our own consciousness, then it's not mechanical. Because machines can't think like that. It shouldn't be mindless. It should be mindful. And this is the way we should chant God's names as well. Thank you very much.